Before we get into the text, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this uh, beautiful day you have given us, and I just pray now that as we come to your text, we would open our hearts to the truths that you revealed through it, and not only that we would open our hearts to it, but that we would live this truth out in our life. And we just thank you for everything that you do for us and everything that you will continue to do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be looking at a very important text. And I chose this text because there's a lot of things that are happening in the world around us, right? There's a lot of difficulties, um, a lot of uncertainty. But there is one thing that we need to be very certain of, right? And so the question we must ask during all this uncertainty, and there's pretty much always uncertainty in the world. If you look through history, we notice that there have been even times that are a lot worse than now, even if you think being confined to your house is bad. But the question we must ask ourselves is, is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? And as you can imagine, this is a very important question for us to ask. And that the thing is, is there any situation, circumstance, or can we do something so bad that would separate us or have Christ turn his back on us? How we view that question will greatly affect how we live our life in this world. And so, we're going to be taking a look at Romans 8, uh, 35 actually through 39, but we're going to be focusing in mainly on 37 through 39. But I'll read that for you real quick. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And so, <laughs> and so the context of this chapter all right, particularly this verse um, is 31 through 39, is he poses five questions. And so the first question can be found in verse 31, which says, who can be against us? Then his next question is in verse 32, and it says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up, how could he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then he says, who will bring us, who will bring any charge against us? 33. And then in 34, he says, who can, who could condemn us? Now, I would like to go over all of those questions, but sadly, due to time, we just don't have the time. So we're going to be focusing on the question posed in 35, which says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And so basically, what he does here in verse 35 is he lists all the people that could possibly, or circumstances that could possibly separate us from the love of Christ. And so we'll take a look at those. And he says, shall tribulation. And so this word tribulation actually has to do with pressure. Um, the pressures of this world. Actually, the word comes from tribellum, which was this kind of sled that they would use. And it would have like rocks or metal on the bottom. And it was heavy. And they would roll it across grain. 
So that was called a trabellum. So the idea is it would put pressure on the grain. So that's where the word comes. So it has with the pressures of this world. And so basically you have to look at 39 and he says, or 37, he says, no, those things won't because we are more than conquerors. And then in 39 he says, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. So, but to continue on, he says, distress. How about distress? Will that separate us? And this comes from the Greek words that's composed of two words, right? And so the first portion of it is narrow, and then the second portion of it is space. So it has to do with confinement, right? So we have the pressures can't, and we can't be confined to the point where Christ no longer loves us. Then he goes on to persecution, right? Because this is a popular one. Can we be persecuted to the point where Christ will no longer love us, where we will lose our salvation. And that's something we have to deal with, right? Because if you look through Christian history, there's been a lot of times where persecution happens. And it still happens in the world today, just in other parts of the country. So the idea is to be being pursued by someone, someone who wants to do you harm. And actually, the next few things that he says kind of goes along the lines of persecution, right? Because he says famine, which famine is the idea of having starvation. So that can often be a portion of persecution, not being able to get the necessities you need to live. And then he says nakedness. And this isn't really, this isn't talking about sexual things. This is talking about um, being vulnerable or unprotected. It's the idea that you're so poor that you can't even buy the clothes on your back. And then he goes on to say danger. This is people mistreating you for your faith. Again, going along the lines of persecution. And then the final and the most extreme thing, he says sword. And this is the idea of being murdered for your faith. The cost of faithfulness. And actually, when you think about 2 Timothy 3.12, it says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is guaranteed here, will be, it will happen. So again, that's why this is so important us to look at this text, right? We need to understand it. Will that ever separate us from the love of Christ? No. No, it will not, because we are more than conquerors, but I'll get there in a second. So then he give, quotes a, uh, the psalm, 44.22 is the psalm that he quotes. And he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So, right, we are like sheep to be slaughtered. And you might be saying at this point, well, Caden, I'm not feeling very uplifted at this point. I'm not feeling super confident in what you're saying. Um, But don't worry, we will get there in a second. So sheep, right? We are more than conquerors. That's what this next part says. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And when you think about it, he's contrasting that with the psalm. The fact that we are sheep to be slaughtered. And then he goes from that to no, more than conquerors. And it's just interesting because you can think of a lot of animals that are conquerors, more than sheep, pretty much all of them. You know, you have lions, tigers, bears, cougars, anything else. Those seem more like animals that conquer. But sheep? Do sheep conquer? Sheep are more so helpless than anything, 
often they're always running about by themselves and they have to be saved. And he says, in all these things, and so the all these things is everything previous, right? What he's talking about beforehand in the in that paragraph. All these things, we are more than conquerors. You are sheep, but you are still sheep that are more than conquerors. And so let's define that, more than conquerors. The Greek word here is hypernikumen. And so it's actually the whole phrase that we are more than conquerors in Greek is one word. So hyper is, and it's composed of two parts to it. The first part is hyper, which means in place of or over and above. And then naiku, which is to overcome or to conquer. And so when you put those together, you have we are more than conquerors or we are super conquerors, as some say, or overwhelmingly conquerors. So what's the idea there, right? The idea is that we are conquerors with success to spare. It's above and beyond conquerors. So think about that. You know, you think about what he was just saying. We are going to be in tribulation. We are going to be persecuted. Maybe have the sword on us. That is to be killed for our faith. And yet, we are more than conquerors. How can that be? So I can give you three brief reasons on how we can be more than conquerors. The first thing is that we are against supernatural foes, right? When you think about it, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we are against spiritual foes, and therefore we are um, more than conquerors. See, the devil is powerful, and on our own we would fail. Actually, I like what the what Boyce says about the devil. He says, the devil devises more schemes in a minute than you could conceive in a lifetime, and all of them are geared for your destruction. And when you think about it, it's like, how could we be more than conquerors after that? Because we have a God who is bigger than the devil, right? And he is on our side, and he paid the price for our sin. So that's the first one. We are against supernatural foes. The second thing is we are we have eternal results or an eternal reward. See, God has given us eternal life, and therefore our reward is eternal. We have more to spare. And you think about that popular verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's such a popular verse, but I think sometimes we don't think about the meaning as often and we just quote it. So we have eternal results. And then the final thing I want to point out, and again, these are brief, but I want to get to the heart of our text. We have no greater cause... Our goal is the glory of God, which is he is infinitely worthy of. In Revelations 5, 6, 1, 5 through 6, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, hit by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest 
to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, Jesus was a super conqueror. Therefore, we are super conquerors through him. To God be the glory. So those are three reasons why we are more than super conquerors. But we're going to continue in our text because we can even see this more so. And so it says, through him who loved us, though, in this text here in verse 37. We need to be careful and take special note of that. Notice who is loving who in this text. It is him who loved us. This is specifically talking about Christ's love for us, not our love for him. What can separate us from Christ's love for us? And when you think about this love of Christ, particularly here in this this passage, it is talking about salvation. What can separate us from Christ? Is there anything that we could do so bad that Christ would turn his back on us? So basically what we see here, we have verses 27 all the way through 37. He's making these arguments. He's posing these questions. Then in verses 30, really 8 through 39 or 37 through 39, we see him putting it all together. And he's asking, again, he's going to answer the question, what can separate us from his love? It is the very climax of the chapter. He is recapping his whole entire argument and just summing it up right here for us, which is why I chose the text. And some even say this is the very pinnacle of the book of Romans. So this is a very important chapter. And basically there are ten things that he poses and says, could these things separate us from the love of Christ? And then basically he dismisses them all at the end. But we must go through them, because even if you're confident right now, eventually you will have to talk to someone else who will make you, try to make you doubt your faith, and you need to know how to respond to them. What if they say, can persecution ever separate you from the love of Christ? How about angels or demons? So we need to be able to answer these questions. And so we are going to go through them so we can have that assurance. And so one of the things to note here is not only... Is this the climax of the chapter? But this is also Paul's personal testimony. He switches to the personal here. He says, for I am sure. He is sure of this. He is convinced, as some versions of the Bible says. He has no doubt in his mind of what he is about to say. So he's going to get right into it. And so we'll start. He says, neither death nor life. Right? And then the conclusion is in 39, we'll be able to separate us from the love of Christ. So death or life. So he poses these two things. So death, and you think about death. It's very interesting because death separates us from everything in this world. It separates us from our body, our jobs, our family, our friends. Everything it separates us from in the world. Which is why it's often so feared, right? Francis Bacon says this. He says, men fear death as children fear the dark. And it's very true. But in all the things that it does separate you from, it cannot separate you from the love of Christ. See, because Christ conquered death on the cross. And we can turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. And it says this. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass um, that the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks to uh, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he already gave us the victory through Jesus Christ. So therefore, death has no power over us, and it cannot separate us. Actually, there is a good illustration of this by Donald Gray Barnhouse. And he told this personal story um, that illustrates this again. Um, When his wife had died, his children were still quite young. And Dr. Barnhouse wondered how he could explain their mother's death in a way that was... Uh, that their childish minds could understand. As they drove home from the funeral, a large truck passed them and briefly cast a dark shadow over the car. Immediately, their father had the illustration he was looking for. And as he asked the children, would you rather be run over by the truck or the shadow of a truck? And they, that's easy, Daddy, they replied. We would rather get run over by the shadow because that wouldn't hurt. Their father then said, Well, children, your mother just went through the valley of the shadow of death, and there's no pain there either. See, death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Actually, when you think about it, death and all the things it separates us from, it actually brings us closer to God. Right? We read in Philippians 1.23, it says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So in all the things that it separates us from, it cannot separate us from the love of Christ. But you say, how about life? Right? Because sometimes life can be worse than death, or at least it can seem worse than death. Right? Because sometimes that's why we call death mercy or a release. Right? But we have already kind of covered that, right? In verses 35, he names all the things pretty much in life that could possibly, if they could, right? Persecution, tribulation, distress, danger, the sword. So he's kind of already covered them. But he's just recapping it again. Life. Nothing in life is going to separate you. Death. Nothing in death. He's looked at the immediate separators, right? Life and death. Those are the two big ones. Actually, when you think about if someone was going to go against this argument, those are the first things they would say. But then he moves from the immediate to the spirit realm. And he says angels or angels or rulers. Some read this text as fallen angels and rulers of this world. Um, but in context, that doesn't really seem like a logical way to interpret it. The best way would be as good angels and essentially bad angels, which would be demons or the rulers of this world. Um, and the main part of that is because he's been contrasting thought in this passage, right? He has death and life and good angels, bad angels, height and depth. So it seems more logical. But then once we get to that conclusion, then we say, well, why would he bring up good angels? Like, you know, they're God's servants. They're not going to separate us from the love of Christ. Well, basically, he's going to cover all of his bases. There's going to be no stone unturned. He wants to make sure people have that assurance. Nothing is going to separate you. 
You know if you would have left it out, someone would eventually bring up the argument. So not even good angels will separate you. And this isn't something new, because if you think about Galatians 1.8, he essentially does the same thing. He says, but even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. He's being extreme, right? He's saying, even if, right, the gospel doesn't change, so even if an angel tells you something, that angel is to be accursed because the gospel never changes. So he's being extreme, and he's doing essentially taking that concept and applying it here. Even the good angels, they won't be able to separate you from the love of Christ. So, but then you get to the rulers, right? The devils. This is one of the more so things that we may fear as believers. And actually, when you think about it, the name devil means separator. So we do need to take a look at this. So they can't separate you because Christ already defeated them. In Colossians 2.15, he said, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So he already beat them so we don't have to worry about them. And they can't separate us. He put them to open shame, triumphing over them. We have nor death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers. Neither good or bad, none of them will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. And so then he moves to time. And he says, well, how about time, right? Because you might say, well, death or life are pretty powerful and they can't, or angels or demons can't. But how about time? Maybe paired with time. Maybe that will do something. Life is very long, right? And so you think about life, a lot of things change, too. It's a valid argument in some respect. Um, I think about four years ago, I was unmarried. I was finishing my bachelor's degree. I was looking to go into ministry. My dad was just about to find out he had cancer, and I weighed less than I do now. And so a lot of things can change in a matter of just four years. A lot can happen. And we must notice that he doesn't say past, right? So even though he's making these very broad strokes, he is being very particular in the broad strokes he is making. Right? Because if you are a believer right now sitting in your chair, there is nothing in the past that has separated you from the love of Christ. So he deals with the present and he deals with the future. Because obviously you're a believer. So there are two ways that we could look at this. Again, so one way is nothing in this life or the life to come will separate you. And that is true, but that's not particularly, in my opinion, the best way to see this passage. The best way would be, in this life, nothing will separate you from his love in the present and things to come. And so you think about this, Paul also discussed this earlier in verses 28, because remember, he's recapping his argument. If you read verses 28 um, in Romans, in our passage, 8.28, it says, And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So not only does it not separate us, those things will only benefit us They will work out for our good. 
And you can think about Joseph here. He's going to be one of the main ones you'll always think about. Think of all the things he went through. He went through being sold as a slave. Then he was a slave. Then he was put in jail. He had to deal with Potiphar's wife and all these different things. And yet you read at the end of Genesis 50, he says, in Genesis 50, 19 through 20, he says, You meant evil against me when he's talking to his brothers, but God meant it for good. And he's basically saying, look, no matter what, it didn't matter because God meant it for good. And that was his attitude. And so, not only will nothing in the present or the future separate us, but it will only turn out for our good. Because we are more than conquerors, remember. We are super conquerors, overwhelmingly conquerors. So then he says, nor powers. And this is a kind of interesting one, because it's the first time that it's just by itself, right? We've been looking at contrasting things so far, and now it's just powers. And the other interesting thing about saying just powers is we've already kind of covered all of the powers that we could essentially think of, right? We have the spiritual things, angels and demons, and we have time, which is powerful, and then we also have life or death powers, We can't really think of any more powers, but he says it here anyway. So basically what he's doing is saying, covering himself, right? Again, if you happen to think of any more powers, just so you know, there is no power that will ever separate you from the love of Christ. That's basically what he's doing there. So you could ask yourself, can you think of any power that isn't listed? And then tell yourself that no power can separate you from the love of Christ. But then he continues on, and we're almost done here, and he says, nor height nor depth, and he's considering space here. Nothing above or below can separate you from the love of Christ. And we looked at the omnipresence of God in our Sunday school, if you've been watching that. You can think of Psalm 139, 7 through 10, where he says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He's doing the north, south, east, and west there. If I ascend into heaven, north, if I make my bed in Sheol, south. If I, in the wings of the morning and in the sea, east and the west. He's covering all his bases. God is everywhere, therefore there is nowhere you can go that will ever separate you from the love of Christ. There is nowhere you can go. So then, just in case, in the end of all explaining that, you still find something in your mind and you say, well, he didn't cover his base there. I could think of something. He says, nor anything else in creation. Nothing else. Nothing. If you can think about it, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because it won't separate you from the love of Christ. So for he is sure, right, death, nor life, nor angels, nor uh, rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. And so what we need to do is be those convinced. He says, I am sure, I am convinced of these things. Are you sure? Not only are you sure, but can you defend against these things? Hopefully after today you can. 
Can we confidently say, as it says in Hebrews 13.6, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so one of the things to think about this is people often say, well, you know, it is Paul. Paul would say that. You know, he was an apostle. He was directly led by the Holy Spirit. He he created most of the Bible. He doesn't really understand the things that are happening in the world or the things that could actually separate it. Maybe he didn't experience it. These are arguments that people come up. So we must look at them, right? Because someone might say that to you. How can we take this man for his word? I mean, other than the fact that for us, it's the word of God and we know that it's truth. But we can look at Paul personally because he actually endured all of the things that he says. We read in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28, and it's long, but I'm going to read it to you because it's revealing. He says this, Are they servants of Christ? I am better, I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with the rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on the frequent journeys and the dangers from the rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness. Um, sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all, all other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? Do you think he went through all those things he listed beforehand? Tribulation, persecution, danger, and ultimately the sword? See, he not only knew all these things would test your faith, but he also knew all these things would only grow your faith, right? That's why he says in Romans, we know that all those things, to those who love God, work together for good. He knew that personally. And that's also why in 38 he says, I am sure of this, because I'm living it out. And through all of it, he says, what can man do to me? So you're going to laugh at this, but this can all be summed up in one verse, right? And we quote it all the time. I've already quoted it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? We quote that, but are we thinking about that deeply? It has... It's a very powerful verse. He gave us the ultimate gift, eternal life. Now you just think about that eternal life, right? Eternal is forever. It's going to keep on going and going and going and going and going and going. You get the point. But you think about that. It's not eternal if it only lasts for a time, right? My eternal life isn't eternal if I have it today and then tomorrow I lose it. It's only eternal because it lasts forever, so, in conclusion, be those that are convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. And let's close with the word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you came down in the form of a man to take away the sins of this world, uh, that you bore them on the cross for our sake. 
that you have given us eternal life. And we know that life will last forever and ever and ever. I pray now that we would stand boldly on your word as as we remember that truth, that nothing man ever does to us or anything in this world, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nothing will ever separate you from our loving, of your loving arms. In Jesus Christ, this is his name. Amen.